Like it's always so strange to me for every headline that's written about me is the Muslim woman breaking the stereotypes, right? Like that's always me. Um, or maybe, you know, Vogue labels me as the woman who's exhibiting naked women's bodies, but it's so much more than that. You know, it's not just the naked body. It's not just about women. It's not just about um, being in hammam. It's not about deorientalizing or uh, reverse orientalizing. It's about what I was experiencing in those moments. Who wants to be the oppressed? You play into the stereotypes or the roles and you'll always be that person. It's not worth it. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Hello and welcome to this interview with the photographer Yumna Al-Rashi. My name is Max and I am currently studying anthropology here at SOAS. A couple of weeks ago, a friend of mine sent me Yumna's Instagram profile. And I was looking at her work and I saw these women in majestic Yemeni landscape looking like uh, superheroes. And I saw nude self-portraiture. And I saw headshots of elderly Arab women with facial tattoos. And I saw a series of black and white images of working men. I was flipping through her work on the internet and I was immediately becoming curious as this work seemed to be researched in depth. It seemed very personal, very political, at times staged and erotic, at times totally documentary style and observative. And I was really intrigued how her work explores what it means to be both vulnerable, free and unafraid. I then found many articles about Yumna but not any longer in-depth conversation that would explore these themes, explore her practice and its context. And I really wanted to find out more about the way she works and her positionality between arts and academia, between pop culture and politics. After solo exhibitions in New York and Los Angeles, Yumna will be featured in a group show at the Rich Mix in London throughout March. Luckily, she recently left the US, and so I got the chance to meet her for an interview in her new home in London. In this interview, we will speak about her upbringing and education in the US, about a project that she researched actually at SOAS. We will talk about being a visual artist in the times of Instagram and how to play with the media in order to have an impact. Yumna will share an experience of turning pain into something positive and constructive. She will talk about what it means to be vulnerable as an artist and why it's important to look for and share joy. Um, welcome and, and thank you so much that we can do this. So. Your practice is quite diverse. You do a lot of photography, writing, video. I would like to start, how would you describe what you do? Let's say you meet somebody at a dinner party and that person asks, uh, what do you do in life? Um, I usually say I'm an artist. <laughs> um, and then ask them to pass me a glass of wine. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I usually say I'm an artist and 
that usually always um, provokes another question, you know, what kind of art do you do or are you a singer or <laughs> so I usually say that I make work usually about women and um, more specifically about women from the Middle East, um, Arab women, North African women, um, and doing some, you know, kind of human rights related work and stuff like that. Uh, documentary style and mix of film and fine art and all of this so yeah I don't honestly I don't even know exactly what I do and how to put it into a box and I think that that's kind of the the basis of all of the work that I do is breaking out of those boxes so putting myself into one is difficult always yeah I always think it's weird when people call themselves artists too right <laughs> it's strange <laughs> Let's go maybe to the ve uh, very first beginning. Um, I read that 9-11 had an impact on you growing up. Uh, what was that experience? When 9-11 happened, it just kind of smacked me in the face. That like, oh, actually, you are Arab and these are the people that, you know, um, that are, you're from the same countries that these people are from and you are now going to be treated a different way for the rest of your life and that was becoming um, very clear to me very quickly and I think that I was really confused because most of my life I just thought I was a person you don't really think about your race or the color of your skin you know I was more concerned with just kind of like getting through being a child and like hanging out and having fun and playing and doing sports and whatnot. But um, I think because of the events of 9-11 and what happened afterwards, I became more and more curious and I really started to um, become more attracted into learning about my background because I wanted to be able to define it and understand it for myself. Um, you realize that there's a huge misperception that's happening between the things that you know as your family and your home um, and the things that are being said in media or amongst uh, other kids at school or, you know, just realize that there's something wrong. And so you go and figure it out yourself. And that's what I began to do. And then after high school, you went to the new school, um, New York, to study social inquiry. Um, did, did you ever think of uh, going to an art school? I think for me, the idea of going to art school after high school was like, mm, no, not interested in like learning a craft necessarily because I feel very confident about my skills as a photography and anything that I technically needed to know, I could find online. And so what I really wanted to learn more about was was the you know, the history of the places that I was interested in exploring more or, um, you know, the, the social, the social politics of places, um, and how we act as societies and sociology and psychology and, um, studying politics gave me access to a lot of that and being able to go into an, an institution in which I could access libraries and learn and be pushed to learn more about, um, how to speak to people about things and how to have conversations and, you know, be active in that sense past just making art, I think was very important to me. Um, I like to have a little bit more of a firm grip on reality, I think, or 
to kind of have the proper research and um, history and understanding past just making something pretty or making um, something that I feel inside. I mean, it's a mixture of things that I feel inside, but it's also a mixture of um, a lot of past and how to teach people with visual images and how to convey ideas past just making something nice that you feel attached to. Mm. And, and what's the relationship between your research on the one hand and on the other hand your art artistic practice as a photographer? Well, usually they, I mean, one wouldn't exist without the other. Uh, I, I feel very similar to an anthropologist when I do these, these types of projects because I, co I couldn't get myself to go into these places without having the proper research at hand. Uh, taking photos is kind of just like field work for me, you know? I go places and I try to see what I can, un can uncover and visually support once I've formulated a proper hypothesis when I'm in the libraries beforehand. You know, like once I feel as though I have this thing that I'm trying to conquer with photography or trying to investigate further with photography as my tool to investigate more, um, then I can kind of, you know, further that hypothesis. But that's kind of my first step is going into the library, spending, you know, sometimes a month to years in the library doing research on one particular subject. So, yeah, I mean, I can't, yeah, one does not exist without the other. You have to do the research. And I think that's such a huge other problem that we have with photojournalism now is that we have people who are going into the field who don't know anything about the cultures, don't speak the languages, don't have any any concepts of the history or the context of the places that they're going in. And so they just put a camera in people's faces, take a photo, and it can be used in any way that they want. That's not photojournalism to me. That's not proper reporting. That's not doing the work. That's actually just being really irresponsible and creating a stereotype. I was wondering, how do you react on um, working in an age of constant sensorial overload of Instagram time, etc.? Um, how do you how do you react on this as a photographer? Mm. Well, as a photographer, I think I felt at first, I think I felt very competitive because there's always something new out there. And, you know, you like look at your phone once and there's 500 new amazing images that somebody took and you're like, wow, cool. I want to make something cool, too. And I think I think it's like, you know, you need to just calm down and realize it's not really about just making something cool. It's not about like getting a like. It's not about um that instant gratification it's about really being proud of yourself with what you're building for me i find a, a lot of questions to be answered when i when it comes to the way that our society is handling images now especially when it comes to um photojournalism and documentary imagery and even the advertisements that we see for i don't know the red cross or something like this and what it does to us mentally how do we react to the constant image of the person that is suffering over and over again. Do we become more aware or are we becoming more numbed? And I think that's also something that I try to, to play on in my work because I no longer am interested in portraying people like me or people from where I'm from in a negative manner because 
the more and more imagery we see of Arab and Muslim people suffering, the less aware we become. We become aware that it's happening, but we become numb to it. And so when there's finally imagery of people from this region or people of that region that's positive or inspiring or kind of like surprising, it actually helps change that perception. I was quite intrigued by seeing how your work is not only concerned with stereotypes that maybe the West might hold uh, of the Middle East, but uh, just in general, it is it seems to be very much concerned with allowing a critical multidimensional perception of that region in general, also for the people who live there, sort of. Yeah, I think for me, I think I'm really interested in the ways in which we undermine one another in the Middle East. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's so easy for me to be like the East versus the West and all of the things that we're not doing for one another and all of the ways in which white people are racist against us and, you know, xenophobia and all of this stuff. But what I'm really interested in also is the way that one, women are approached and looked at in the Middle East and also how the media portrays us and how we allow that portrayal to happen. And two, I'm also super interested in the way in which we very often as Arabs claim this identity to be proud and supportive of our Muslim brothers and sisters, and yet we capitalize and manipulate and enslave so many Muslims from further east. And it's this idea that we are not any more progressive than Uh, the Western world. We're not any more innocent than them. We're actually just as bad as them, <laughs> um, if not worse. Um, uh, this idea that we've, the one part of the Middle East that is actually thriving is in the Gulf states. And in those places, they're being built on the same values that America was built on, which is slavery, um, taking over parts of land that isn't their own in terrible ways and we're seeing it happening again in the Middle East. There's people being imported from further east. Um, there's, you know, instances of complete colonialism happening also further east and uh, it's a discussion that needs to be had and it's something that we shouldn't be afraid to speak about as Arabs. Um, in fact, we should talk about it more because if we don't talk about it and we're more afraid of damaging our identity, the less we progress and the more we have to be attacked on. So it goes the same way for the way that we handle the issue of women and femininity and freedom in those areas. We just don't talk about it a lot of the time and that allows it to just not move. It just stays stagnant. In the question of women, freedom and change, in the region uh, is also something you addressed with that project called FACE, um, where you were traveling in North Africa and searching and documenting sort of the last generation of females with facial tattoos. Um, how did that project come about? And yeah, what was sort of the motivation behind this? Uh, my great grandmother had facial tattoos and I was super interested in them and understanding what the meaning behind them were and why I don't see them on younger women anymore. 
Um, and then as I was doing research in, in SOAS, <laughs> I started to kind of form a hypothesis that it seemingly looked like because of the influx of capitalism and war and the change of um, the type of Islam that was being spread around the region, um, primarily coming from Saudi Arabia in which these things were banned, you know, and you saw the disappearance of these tattoos. So I kind of correlated it with the loss of um, farming and and uh, the influx of language and education, you know, formalized education, um, religious education, uh, capitalism, all of these things. And um, I wanted to show how women's power could be taken from them because of these things and how when you take a woman's power from her you simultaneously take away humanity's connectedness to the earth and we see that and we're learning that when we realize the way that we've been handling the earth now with capitalism and consumerism and how we see its destructive force So I was working in North Africa on a project about facial tattoos and women with facial tattoos in the Muslim world. It was early January of last year, so I was experiencing Trump's inauguration from afar, which was, of course, depressing in its own right, but a few days later, he instilled the Muslim ban. Shall I read you the statement? <laughs> Donald J. Trump is calling for... Now, listen, you got to listen to this one, because this is pretty... Pretty heavy stuff, and it's common sense, and we have to do it. Remember the poll numbers, okay? So remember this, so listen. Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. So that meant my entire family was then now left to be illegal in the country that we pretty much spent our entire lives in. Um, I'm the only citizen of my whole family, so I was away and the only person that could actually have had some legal stance. But I was really suffering with this idea and I was kind of getting to a point of really just pure anger, really. For most of my fully conscious life, I've experienced racism from the country that I live in and you know that started in 9-11 and has up until now progressed into a point of complete absurdity you know I went to a hammam after we were done with this project in North Africa and being in this insane hammam in Tunis in Tunisia and getting scrubbed down and just like finally being able to let go of the fact that I was working and just being surrounded by so many w women and like babies crying and there was like food on the ground and it was like a woman was yelling at me because she thought I stole her bucket of water and it was just insanity, you know, but it was a space where everyone was butt naked and <laughs> we're all screaming at each other in Arabic and we're all just trying to clean ourselves, you know, and, and in a way it was like insanity, but it was humanity and it was vulnerability and it was womanhood and it was that force of beauty all in one space. I was getting scrubbed down by this woman and I just started crying so much because I had so much pain from all of the news that I was receiving back in America 
but I couldn't show it because I was working and I had to get this project done. And finally, it was in that moment that I felt release and then this whole idea came to me. So based on this experience, you made the film Shedding Skin. Um, let's listen to a little extract of the sound. I've tried in every way to conform and bind myself to please you. Your restrictions on my soul have known no end, but still I bend because I cannot be broken. Um, you just said the moment in the hammam in Tunis was um, sort of a moment of release and of allowing vulnerability and regaining new energies. And I think that's something that's um, very present in the images of shedding skin. And I, and that's something I think it's very powerful. Um, what does the term vulnerability mean to you? Oh, it's like the hardest thing I've struggled with my entire life. <laughs> I think it's been actually the hardest thing that I've learned how to have in my entire fucking life. No joke. I think that that's, that idea of vulnerability is, I think that was the pure manifestation of it was that, creating that piece of work, that body of work, was actually being unafraid of showing my anger, of actually showing me, you know, because in all of those women that were in that space, that were part of that project, that were in that film, I saw me in every single one of them, you know? It wasn't just self-portraiture. It wasn't just naked bodies and women talking. It was, <clears throat> it was really me showing my pain and that vulnerability... I think created something super powerful and that's that's why I was amazed at how quickly my emotions my negative emotions turned into this amazing project that ended up touching so many people and, and what is um, sort of important for you as an artist uh, to be able to on the one hand be vulnerable and receptive and on the other hand be like very unafraid and just to push things out there That I don't have the answer to because I'm not entirely sure of how I how I'm doing it right now. <clears throat> Sorry, I yeah I I think f every day of my life is kind of like conquering all of the fears that you have. You know, every day of everyone's life is kind of. I mean, I would hope that everyone's kind of moving forward or trying to progress or trying to get better in some way, shape, or form. Um, At first, I was ashamed of all of the things I was interested in taking photos of. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I shouldn't be doing this because my family back in Yemen will hate me and think I'm a terrible human being. Or, you know, like people will think like, what are you doing? Were you like, you know, so oppressed in your life that you have to do all of this stuff? Or, you know, just like all of the things that you can think about from the outside. And for me, like getting over getting over what other people think of the work that I make, whether it's people in the Middle East or if it's extremists in America or whoever it was, I think it was just fucking doing it and not giving a shit about what people thought. Um, and knowing always that I had the support of my family, my immediate family, my dad, my sisters, my brother. I, having that, like, 
I could do anything really because at the end of the day if I have them then I have everything that I need um vulnerability I think it was honestly this is so cheesy but I think it's falling in love and being with somebody that you can really feel completely yourself in um so I guess at the end of the day all of it really just boils down to love <laughs> like the love of your family the support of your family the support of having a partner that is really there for you and you don't feel so scared to be vulnerable to the rest of the world if you can be vulnerable to the one that you really love so yeah as cheesy as it is it's like the damn stereotypes that we always think about love it's it's a magical thing it's really wonderful to be able to have something like that in your life in which frees you a bit yeah and at that time i also found my partner so it was something kind of like this alchemy all happened at the same time <laughs> That's a beautiful story. <laughs> <laughs> Super cheesy. I don't know. I was like, what else do I say here? <laughs> But the truth. <laughs> do you think you're gonna explore the audiovisual format a little more? Yeah, definitely. For sure. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> leave it there. <laughs> Um, I asked you to, um, whether you could send me three songs that inspire you at the mm -hmm. moment. I sent you a funny selection, but I like it. Okay, so... Talal Madah. He died a long time ago. They used to say he had like the voice of the earth. And his music is like this... There's just always this place in every Arab's heart for these love ballads, you know, that are like... 15 minutes long and they're so dramatic and long and heavy but so beautiful I really like that song that song has been something that's been on my mind a lot lately and maybe I will use it in a project soon <laughs> <laughs> for you to go back to the US and to exhibit Shedding Skin? When I exhibited it in America, I got so much incredible response and mostly from other Arab American women that were feeling the same feelings and, you know, feeling a bit lost and a bit scared. And that's really what meant the most to me about that project was that, yeah, I was kind of like, kind of just making some angry art, you know, but uh, maybe some people didn't understand it, you know, maybe some people didn't really get what I was trying to get out with that piece, but 
Um, or maybe, you know, Vogue labels me as the woman who's exhibiting naked women's bodies, but it's so much more than that. You know, it's not just the naked body. It's not just about women. It's not just about um, being in hammam. It's not about deorientalizing or uh, reverse orientalizing. It's about what I was experiencing in those moments. And yeah, so, so how do you feel when like uh, Vogue um, writes so much about you destroying a stereotype and... Uh, in the end, they write, oh, this hammam scene, uh, it actually could have even been in Paris or New York, um, but it was in the backwards Middle East. Um, I mean, you get a lot of exposure through these kind of magazines, but how do you feel about their kind of reporting? I think about it all the time, really. Like, it's always so strange to me for every headline that's written about me is the Muslim woman breaking the stereotypes, right? Like, that's always me. And I, at first I hated it. I wanted to email every editor and say, take that shit down. Like, I'm an atheist. Like, <laughs> it's just because I was born Muslim doesn't mean that I'm a Muslim. Like, doesn't mean I'm a practicing person because this idea of this word Muslim has so much weight to it, right? And yes, I am a Muslim. I was born Muslim. My family is Muslim. My blood is Muslim, sure. But practicing in my own personal religion is actually nobody's business. And And that the weight of that word Muslim is so heavy. And yet, I, I mean, it's just so easy for it to make a headline, right? Like, it's just what I am stereotyped as. And I realize there's two options that I have. Either get pissed, yell at every editor that wants to use the stereotype, or take advantage of it and use it to further spread a message that people who then listen to you who then read actually past this past the headline who end up following you online who listen to these interviews who actually take the time to learn more past reading a facebook headline whatever those are the people who matter to me you know those are the people who i i really want to reach and um for the most part the people that i do want to reach actually are the ones who are listening who are who are understanding what I'm doing here and how I'm playing with this idea of the media and how the media perceives me and how I play with the media to get the kind of exposure I need to be successful. And I have no problem with that because in this world, we have to take every opportunity that we can to just get our foot in the door sometimes. And especially as a woman, especially as a brown woman, especially as a Muslim woman, especially as all of these damn things, I... I either do it or I say, don't do that to me. And then I lose in a way, you know, or I can beat them on both ends. And I think that's what I'm doing. And um, I think it's easy for people to say, ah, like you're just playing into stereotypes. You're just playing into Orientalism. You're just playing into all of these things. But I don't think those are the people that are actually really seeing what I'm doing here and seeing that I'm actually trying to flip it on its head in a way and um I believe that sure like Vogue headline says Muslim woman shackled whatever breaks the shackles of a uh, Muslim woman stereotypes because she takes naked photos of people uh, whatever it says <laughs> and Yeah, it's true. Like, I'm a Muslim woman who is unafraid of posting photos that are erotic sometimes or um, sharing my body or other women's bodies that are also from the same regions or not from the same regions at all. And 
yeah, like I, I am doing it, but I'm doing it as a brown woman who doesn't, one, who doesn't um, play into this orientalizing stereotype. And two, I'm, I'm doing it because I have the ability to do it and other women don't. And I know that if one of us isn't doing it, then none of us isn't, is doing it. And if I can make that step forward to, to, put, to get that shit out of the air and normalize it a little bit more, then I think I can do greater good for the rest of us later in the future, however it is, or inspire women to feel a little bit less afraid, right? So, yeah, I think about that all the time. It's, it's just the thing that you kind of always have to deal with somebody who's in a, any stage of being in the public light. People will mislabel you. People will um, put you into a box. But it's the people who actually are listening and who are actually paying full attention and who are interested who really see the depth of it. I mean, how many more... I mean, bless everyone that, like, really takes stands against media and all of this stuff, but, like, how many more people do we need just bitching about how fucked up everything is, you know? We can either bitch about it all day long and not actually kind of, you know, play with the enemy, or we go nowhere. I choose to move forward a little bit. Something that I was, I also really, um, I was intrigued by, that was the question of how to pr uh, portray joy and how to show uh, happiness uh, in a world where, yeah, like we are surrounded by a lot of images of misery. How? How? I don't know. I think we need to stop being so depressed. You know, if we feed into the depression, then we're only going to portray the depression you know if we only have sad news on our facebook feeds and our social media and whatever it is then we're never going to be able to see any joy if we keep feeding into that system like just get off the fucking internet stop watching the news you know talk to people see that there is joy out there i think we we get so easily addicted to it and especially when you're Arab, you are so passionate and you know you want to like fight for justice and show how fucked up everything is in Palestine and how fucked up everything is in Yemen and whatever. But like, if you keep showing people this image of Arabs being so passionate and sad and fucked up, everything's fucked up for them, then what's the reason that anyone would want to help fight for change more? You know, you're only going to get that initial passion, but there's going to be no reason to keep pushing forward. So how do you actually make somebody feel bad for what's going on is showing how wonderful the place is, right? You show how fucking fantastic this wonderful place was and you've fucking destroyed so much incredible stuff and now you'll never be able to see it again. Doesn't that make you feel way more shitty than actually seeing another person laying dead on the ground in some dusty, I don't know where it is, you know? It's the same thing about money and capitalism and all of these things like you either play the role of being the victim all the time and you never get anywhere or you find the way to win right and that goes with happiness as well you know you either feed into watching all of these images over and over and over again of war and how people are suffering and how the babies that are dying and you feel so bad about everything and just become you know like incapable of any movement 
if you don't see the little bits of joy in life, then how do you wake up every morning? What do you see to live for the next day? You have to, you have to show those things. An unplanned outcome of war is people who are not living in the country who become depressed by it. And I think that that's something that's super powerful and that's like a really sad part of war actually. And it actually becomes another tool of, of creating war, right? Like if you can make people from that country also super depressed in the new countries that they're living in, then that's also another win for whoever's creating the war. And I don't want to be the victim. I'll never be able to win. <laughs> so if you don't see the joy in things, if you don't see the joy in life, if you don't share that joy in life, then you'll always be the oppressed, you know? Who wants to be the oppressed? You play into the stereotypes or the roles and you'll always be that person. It's not worth it. <laughs> Thank you so much um, for taking your time. Cool, that was easy. Let's listen to one last song you chose. This is Ode by the Lebanese artist Mashru Leila. Just do